All right, welcome back to the Future Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Elser. Things are heating up in this month's episode as we talk about thermal comfort and perceptions of heat. Hopefully all this talk of heat will warm up our listeners currently dealing with the polar vortex. Uh, Keep warm as best you can. Uh, Our guest this month is a colleague of mine in the Urban Resilience to Extreme Sustainability Research Network, and uh, she thinks a lot about heat in her research. So without further ado, our guest this uh, month is Yulia Zuban. Welcome, Yulia. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for the introduction. So I'm currently a PhD student in sustainability at ASU and a UREX fellow. But before that, I was a, I did my master's degree in City College in New York, and I also have uh, my background is in architecture. So I have two degrees in architecture, and uh, I come from Ukraine, from other side of the world, and uh, happy to bring my perspective uh, and to Phoenix. Well, we're happy to have your perspective here. <laughs> Uh, so, with that perspective and what you're doing here in Phoenix, you just tell us uh, what you study uh, for your PhD. Right. So, I'm interested in uh, kind of merging my background in architecture and design and sustainability. So, I got interested in uh, exploring how people perceive, uh, <clears throat> how urban design affects uh, people's perceptions. And currently, I'm exploring how urban design affects how people perceive heat. Because... Uh, that seems to be uh, hits. Hits is a really big problem in Arizona, and uh, I think we can do better with uh, urban design, designing spaces, with uh, designing spaces for people to feel better. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of people from Phoenix or people who visit here might have that realization. Walking around is it, it can be such a pain, like literally a pain in the summer to walk around anywhere, any amount of distance, because there's. There's so few trees and other shade structures to make that walking comfortable, waiting comfortable. I know what part of your focus is, is at bus stops and waiting for bus stops. So I think you're absolutely right that there, there, there's a lot we can do to, to improve. So how did you get interested in this topic? Right. I got interested um, pretty much um, from my own experience in my own suffering. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember I... Uh, came uh, to, I moved to Arizona in the middle of the summer. I think it was August, maybe beginning of August. And uh, it was a long drive uh, from New York to here. And then uh, I stopped at the parking lot, opened the door of the car. It was just uh, (laughs) super hot. Right, convection oven. Yes, convection oven. And... uh, I thought, like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? It's so hot and so miserable. And then I I realized that I cannot really have the same lifestyle as I'm used to. I'm used to urban places where I can walk everywhere. I can use public transit where I don't really need a car. I can, like, do everything while I'm walking to, like, from one place to another. And I couldn't really maintain that lifestyle here because it's pretty much impossible to walk when it's so hot and there's so little infrastructure and places are so far from each from each other so first i thought i just the first reaction was i want to get out but then <laughs> I, thought, I thought okay maybe i can do research and help to make things better it just doesn't feel right <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sticking around. Yeah, so I guess I'm curious. Like, so you said you lived in New York and you're from the Ukraine to begin with. So, like, how much different is that uh, city life 
in those places compared to, to Phoenix. Right. So I lived in four different places. So from New York, I moved to Cyprus, which is also hot and kind of similar to to Arizona. People also drive a lot. And then I moved to New York and that was much closer to the lifestyle I'm used to. So I'd say um, in, U- in Ukraine, in the city I live, it's also <clears throat> the infrastructure is very developed. Uh, people use public transit, people walk. I've noticed that at every bus stop we have some kind of retail, and uh, I think that's actually a great idea. You know, while you're waiting, especially it would be helpful here. While you wait, you can go and get like a cool off a little bit, get a cooler drink, and uh, so. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I've never I've never seen that anywhere in the U.S. to have like retail at a bus stop. Yeah, Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I guess in New York you'll see like like a little stand that has like magazines and like chips. Or yeah, something in subways. Nearby, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, in subway stations. Yeah, yeah, so we have them kind of integrated oh, into the bus stop infrastructure. So and it's different. There may be like a just a small su- supermarket or like specialized uh, store. I don't know, like where you can get your. Uh, groceries or something while you're waiting on your way home i think that's very convenient and uh <laughs> yeah oh that's really cool yeah i've never never thought about that yeah actually i i gave a presentation to landscape design architects and they showed them one how ukrainian bus stop looks like and how <laughs> the infrastructure looks like and uh someone have noticed that yeah Oh, great. I mean, so much to learn from. Oh, I mean, this is really valuable why we have well, to have people from different yeah. perspectives and backgrounds bring this insight because I would have literally never known about the way that uh, Ukraine designs their, their bus stops. So that's right. Yeah, that's, really, that's really cool. And I wouldn't have thought about it. Um, great. So, yeah, I know. So you think a lot about just people and their comfort levels in dealing with heat. And I know scientists uh, in your field use uh, this uh, adaptive model of thermal comfort to describe um, people's comfort and how they achieve the comfort level. So can you describe what this adaptive uh, model is, is? Sure. So, for example, right now we have more than 100 of different thermal indices. And what most of them incorporate uh, a variety of micro- micrometeorological variables, yeah. such as uh, different like air temperature, globe temperature, wind humidity, depending on what kind of index it is, sure. plus some... Uh, physiological characteristics of the body, metabolic rate, clothing level. And uh, and that's how basically we define uh, thermal heat stress or thermal comfort. But there is a growing consensus among scientists that we cannot, because thermal comfort is subjective definition, we cannot assess thermal comfort by only looking at this uh, physical measurements and physiological response of the body. There is much more to it. There is a big psychological component that is currently not included in therm- in, in, in these models. So there is a scientist came up with this adaptive model of thermal comfort that includes those, uh, it's more comprehensive and it includes those three components, which is a physiological response of the body, but also psychological uh, parameters, for example, what are your expectations uh, of the weather? What was your previous thermal history? Uh, is there a nature? Around, uh, do you feel that you can control your environment? Or also another component is behavioral. For example, 
people adjust uh, their behavior uh, to the weather. They can bring an umbrella. They can bring wa more water or change their clothing. So this is kind of a more comprehensive model, and um, it's we don't really have a lot of uh, uh, methods so far on how to study uh, thermal comfort comprehensively. But I think it's a big part. Some studies say that uh, it's there is a, <clears throat> that those physiological components can only estimate about fifty percent of thermal comfort, and everything else is attributed to those psychological perceptions. So think it's quite important yeah that's that's really interesting and the, yeah the psychological aspect is not something that i really would have thought about so i'm, I'm coming more from a background of like physical science measuring i sort of think oh yeah we can measure it that's how we'll define it but uh, as you as you say that's not really a complete way to look at this and i'm just thinking just sort of anecdotally in my own life so i grew up here in arizona so kind of used to the heat but then i moved to indiana to do go to college it was so cold there and that my first winter I remember just like not being able to deal with it at all having just a ton and ton of layers on and just, just I think my expectations for mm -hmm. what the temperature would be like were totally like you know not measuring up with what was that what was I, I was actually experiencing but then by the time I was in my fourth year there winter was just like a normal thing and I sort of established that oh this is what it's going to be like I could sort of set my expectations for what to expect and Anyway, so I just, anecdotally, I remember just coping better mm -hmm. with the winter, even though winters were fairly similar between, you know, my freshman and senior yeah. year, and I was fairly similar as well. So just anecdotally, yeah. Right. I mean, the body also acclimatizes sure. to certain climate, right? So you physically may feel better, but those, uh, like, physiological and psychological components are so interconnected, it's sometimes yeah. difficult to attribute uh, response to one or the other, but I think we need to study them comprehensively. Yeah, so a combination. Of yep. Them. Very interesting. So, uh, as sort of alluded to earlier, one of your major areas of interest is uh, public transportation and people mm -hmm. waiting for buses. So, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing with regard to, to bus stops here in Phoenix? Sure. Uh, I guess it also comes from my personal uh preferences and interests. I'm a big fan of public transit. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could use it more often uh, here in Phoenix. As I do Well, I actually use light rail quite often. Uh, since uh, people in Phoenix who use public transit, they also uh, usually mostly socially and economically vulnerable, and uh, they may not have, have AC in their house, or their AC may not function properly, or they may not be able uh, to afford to pay their electricity bill. So this uh, use of public transit adds uh, more heat stress to their daily heat accumulation on top of what they experience. So when they walk to the bus stop and wait at the bus stop, they may this may be like another 20 minutes on average, one way to to be out in the heat. And I think that can be very significant when it's more than 100 degrees out. <clears throat> That's why we decided to study, go and study the experiences of people currently and to in order to understand uh, how big is the problem and also how it can be improved. So for the past two summers, I have a team of students and we go together and uh, we take measurements in the stops. Uh, we've selected um, a pool of stops that have different design characteristics 
and I'm trying to see whether uh, people's perceptions change on depending on their design of the stop. Yeah. So we go to like a s- measure uh, and survey people at a standard stop, but then there are some nicer ones that have incorporated art and trees, and we're trying to see whether that helps or not. So could you describe, uh, I guess, for people who aren't here mm-hmm. in Phoenix, uh, what like a standard bus stop would look like? Right. A standard bus stop is just a metal uh, casing. It's like porous metal uh, bus stop. And usually it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> there is no retail or trees. It's like pretty much uh, in the middle of the street and there is nothing around. And uh, Are there, Is there usually a bench at the standard? There is usually a bench, yes. But that bench... Uh, can get up to 130 degrees hot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you probably don't want to sit on that for <laughs> They probably don't want to sit or, or I guess you can't even sit on it. Yeah. You'll burn. You'll burn, yeah. Yeah. So that's another important aspect, you know, like we have this uh, standard infrastructure, but does it really perform well for Phoenix summers? Does it, or maybe just functions for half of the year when yeah, it's not right. that that hot, you know? And then there are there are a few improved stops that have different materials. Um, they painted, uh, I think they painted with a little bit with colors that are a little bit cooler, and um, they have a lot of vegetation and landscaping. So, <clears throat> and also some different forms of landscaping, some grass and shrubs. So we are trying to see whether that changes how people perceive heat. We ask them questions about. Uh, how they feel thermally from like cold to hot, but also ask them whether they think that the environment is pleasant yeah. or this whether they think this stop is beautiful or ugly, uh, trying to get into those more subjective perceptions. Yeah. So I know you asked some questions about, uh, about whether certain elements uh, at the bus stop were, whether they thought mm-hmm. certain elements were good at providing cooling. Could you talk a little bit about that? Right. So one of the questions also, uh, we have um, a number of green and gray infrastructure elements, yeah. and then we ask them, which one do you think is beneficial for cooling? Like, which one makes you feel cooler? And naturally, people select uh, bus stop shelters and trees. But, for example, big percentage also select water fountains. Yeah. We don't have water fountains at bus stops, right? But that shows that this is an important component and something for planning agencies to consider. I don't, it doesn't mean that they need to bring water fountains, but there could be other creative ways and uh, uh, <clears throat> to provide water or at least to understand that that's an imp- important. Yeah, that was... I was also surprised that something like, I think, uh, I don't remember the exact number, I think around 20% or so of the people you surveyed cited like a bench as, yes. as being as providing cooling. Yeah, I think that's interesting. For example, other uh, I've looked at other studies that uh, explore perceived waiting time, yeah. and they found that uh, uh, basic amenities at the stop help to reduce this perceived waiting time because yeah. it's usually... Uh, public transit is usually negatively associated with waiting time, right? So in this context, I'd, I'm interested whether this, what kind of infrastructure, is it basic infrastructure or more advanced infrastructure, does it have 
the same effect on how people perceive heat. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I thought that was really interesting about the about the the bench because yeah. like again, so sort of from this background that I have is like, oh well, bench isn't like physically cooling the area, so right. why would they associate it? But it they, it allows them to sit down, yeah. take their mind off of the heat, perhaps. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was really right. I thought that was really interesting that so many people. Similarly, also if uh, for example, when the bus stop has more has a bench or other elements and a tree and maybe like a patch of grass or something, uh, there is a also a notion that uh, having perceived control over the environment mm, yeah. also increases your thermal comfort. You, it doesn't mean that you'll move from from you know from the tree to the bench or like you said you may stay you may be on one place but the feeling of having the control and being able to select where you are makes you feel cooler. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so did you find there to be a, a relationship between the people's perception of the stops and, and the actual, uh, their thermal comfort? Actually I did. So, uh, in my study, we only did this in summer. So yeah. pretty much, uh, half of the respondents felt hot or very hot. Yeah, makes sense. But we did find that, uh, when people think that they're, this bus stop is more pleasant or more beautiful, they feel a little bit more thermally comfortable. So it helps to improve their thermal comfort by half a point, which I think it's really great. And it seems like it could be one, you know, one other way uh, to consider on how to improve thermal comfort. Yeah, that is really interesting. So it's not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Thinking about how design elements to make yeah. things more pleasant. Yeah, and like. and so my my sample is limited by what's currently available, sure. right? So we didn't test for all infrastructure elements or like all possible way creative ways. So I think yeah. this could be improved. Yeah, a lot of opportunities. To yes, expand on yes, this idea. yes. If we maybe we could do some pilot projects with different design elements to see how they would impact people's perceptions. Cool. So do you, do you have plans to, to do that or to expand uh, this research in, in different ways? Well, right now I'm uh, preparing to go and do a similar research in Hermosillo, Mexico. I'm going there for two months in May and June under okay. Rula Iris grant. And uh, Mexico is currently developing its, uh, well, not Mexico, Hermosillo is currently developing its uh, transit, public transit infrastructure. And they don't really have any uh, data on how people perceive public transit or use it or how do they cope with heat. So I think this would be very valuable uh, <clears throat> To, to collect this data pr and uh, provide information for for their authorities. Yeah, that be that would that would be pretty cool. So how are Phoenix and Hermosillo? So I guess how do they compare Phoenix and Hermosillo? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, first of all, they have similar climate. Yeah. So both of the cities are in the Sonoran Desert yeah. and quite similar, but also the development part patterns are similar. Oh, Hermosillo really? kind of followed. Uh, Phoenix development pattern and uh, uh, the um, street infrastructure is similar. 
Okay. That, oh, well, that's great then for, especially if you're drawing these comparisons, yeah. to have sort of those elements kind of already controlled for, um, so you can, yes. yeah, sort of draw some different conclusions. So, um, well, that's awesome. That sounds really cool. Look forward to hearing about, uh, what you find in MSU and how that compares to Phoenix. So outside of bus stops, I know that you were also uh, heavily involved in the heat walk that happened here in Phoenix a couple of months ago, and listeners might remember that I gave a short spiel about that uh, just before it happened, but uh, I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about the heat walk. So I was a member of the organization team for the heat walk, which is part of a larger heat mappers project that is under uh, Knowledge Exchange for Resilience in in. <clears throat> network in ASU and uh, the goal of the heat walk was to uh, create a baseline for thermal comfort for Edison Eastlake neighborhoods so Edison Eastlake is uh, uh, <clears throat> the neighborhood that re- received a, a choice uh, neighborhood grant to be redeveloped and uh, currently there are three public housing projects uh, in, in the neighborhood and uh, they want to improve current conditions, provide more mixed-income housing, and uh, also create more thermally comfortable conditions for residents. So we wanted to create a baseline of uh, thermal comfort right now, and uh, this would be like a long-term project, and then we could compare this to uh, in like five or six years when the project is completed to how things changed or not. So every participant in the walk had a, a field guide and uh, they had to, they would walk uh, at the pre-designed route and uh, there were streets with different conditions on the route. There were main roads or neighborhood streets with different landscaping and design elements and uh, while walking they would have to, there would be design stops on the route and they would uh, answer certain questions in relation to how their thermal comfort and design elements and what would they like to change. And um, since I'm also interested in more uh, in-depth perceptions, um, I added their part of qualitative interviews. So every uh, we had a smaller group of participants who would uh, walk with an interviewer and uh, they would talk about their experiences while they walk. And they also had uh, sensors on them such as heart rate monitor, uh, UV sensor, uh, GPS sensors. So then we can col- uh, <clears throat> combine this uh, data with their qualitative perceptions and see how their physical responses and uh, uh, microclimate uh, at, at that specific time relates to to their feelings. Wow, super cool! Was so how um, how many people participated in this? Uh, we had around uh, about forty people participating, and uh, then uh, twelve people were interviewed. Okay, awesome! That sounds like a really really cool project. And so that won't happen again until after the uh, the sort of renovations in the neighborhood have taken place. Uh, no, I think there the there was a lot a lot of uh, the project caused a lot of interest, and we're okay. thinking to. So this was a great opportunity to test methodology, but we do want to uh, continue doing this work in uh, Edison East Lake or potentially other neighborhoods that have similar challenges. Cool. Yeah, great idea. Seems really important. Uh, so. 
Uh, something that some of my listeners might know is that I like to ask scientists who I interview to sum up their research in the form of a haiku. So, uh, Yulio, would you, uh, in addition to being an architect and a scientist, could you please now uh, put on your poet hat and share with us a haiku <laughs> about your research? Sure, I'll, <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> I count my sweat drops, wondering... How much longer? Look, there is a tree. Oh, that's great. Oh, my gosh. That was awesome. That might be the best haiku I've gotten yet. Oh, my gosh. Oh, really? Well, yeah, that was, I mean, no disrespect to everyone else that's providing me haikus, but that was awesome. Well done, Yulia. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that's all uh, the questions I have for you at the moment. Is there anything else you want to say about your research, or is there somewhere that people can reach you if they have questions uh, about your research? Sure, thank you so much for allowing me to have the opportunity to share and uh, people can are welcome to reach me and they can find my information on the Eurex website. Uh, my email is there. Please, uh, if you're interested, please follow up. All right, great. Thank you so much again, Yulia, for, for joining us. Thank you. All right, and thank you all so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. The Future Cities Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the Urban Resilience to Extremes Sustainability Research Network, or UREX as we usually refer to it. To learn more about UREX, visit www.sustainability.asu.edu forward slash urban resilience. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.